Welcome to Everyday Martial Artist, a weekly podcast where you'll join me, Brian Doucet, as I interview a different martial artist each episode and hear their story. Some guests you may have heard of, and some you probably haven't. Be sure to subscribe where all your favorite podcasts are available. Also, visit our website at everydaymartialartist.com. If you're listening for a specific interview, I sure hope you'll stay and check out the other episodes. A very special thank you to Topher Williams for our custom theme music. And now, the newest episode of Everyday Martial Artist. Everyday Martial Artist is brought to you by KOonline.com for all your martial arts needs. Sparring and safety gear, rank belts, uniforms, weapons, patches, and more. Wholesale supplies made by martial artists for martial artists. Visit us today at KO-Online.com. Hello and welcome to Everyday Martial Artist. I'm your host, Brian Doucette, and as we do every week, we're joined by a brand new guest talking about their life and their journey throughout the world of martial arts. My guest today was born in Birmingham, Alabama, and attended high school in Newark, New Jersey. He was an All-American defensive end and three-year letterman at the University of Iowa, and was also a two-time All-Big Ten selection. He was drafted by the New England Patriots in the second round of the 1982 NFL Draft, played 11 seasons in the NFL for the Patriots, was in five Pro Bowls, and entered the NFL Hall of Fame in 2008. But wait, this isn't a football podcast, so what are we talking about? Well, my guest also studied martial arts for over five decades, holds a seventh-degree black belt, and is certified under the Okinawa Karate Do Association based in Okinawa. Please welcome my guest today, NFL Hall of Famer, Mr. Andre Tippett. How are you doing today, sir? I'm fine, Brian. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you. It's it's an honor to have you on the show, and, I, and I'm probably the first person to ever interview you that actually knows little to nothing about football. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I hate to admit, I'm, I'm, I'm not a fan i've been to like one uh, that, game in my life <laughs> so that's okay that's all right that's yeah. all right it's funny i uh, i've never uh i'm always talking football i've obviously i've been interviewed uh karate uh, yep. publications a few times but this is uh first podcast uh about karate i uh nice i love talking about football but karate has been one of those passions that i have been involved with for a very 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 long time Awesome. Yeah. What we like to do with all my guests, I want to go back to the beginning. You know, I've kind of read about your history and stuff a little bit, but I want to hear it from you. What led to that first interest, that first spark and kind of started your martial arts journey? Wow. Well, obviously I always tell people, you know, growing up in Newark, New Jersey, you know, it, it, it's a different, different, different environment. Uh -huh. Uh, and for me, just like anything else, you know, I had I wanted to learn how to protect myself. Being the oldest in the family, I was the oldest of six. Oh wow! And uh, so I didn't have the big brother to go to when things got a little tough. And uh, so I was trying to figure out this thing of you know protecting myself, and uh, uh, really didn't know what direction to go. And what happened one day, I believe we were at one of my mother's girlfriend's houses and uh, in their apartment, and they had a uh, book stand. And on the book stand, I just happened to kind of look over and I noticed it was a karate trophy over there. And I was like mesmerized by the karate trophy. And I'm like, so who, who does this play? She was telling me that you know, it's her husband and he studies uh, karate at this... Um, local community center. And I was like, you know, tell me more, tell me more. I, I, I couldn't have been no more than maybe 10, 11 years old, but mm -hmm. I was, I was enamored by the karate trophy. And that's really uh, where it started. And it was, uh, 
I, I got the introduction and uh, her husband basically took me to the, the community center one day and uh, I sat and watched practice. And, uh, and it turned out to be a uh, Bondo system, B-A-N-D-O. Okay. And it's the Burmese form of uh, martial arts. And it was, uh, it was pretty, pretty good workout. I mean, I got thrown in uh, the fireworks really quick <laughs> and it was actually couple of my buddies ended up joining with me afterwards and it wasn't in newark new jersey it was in east orange new jersey and east orange new jersey is like maybe 20 minutes away from newark okay by bus and uh so we literally had to figure out transportation to get to the community center twice a week to train wow. and uh it was great i did it for about three years okay and uh it was really, really nice. And it was, uh, as I, how do I say this? It, it, it had a little political uh, feel to it because what I found out later on, all of the instructors that were training there and that were teaching all part of Black Panther group. Oh, wow. Okay. So my mother, my mother got nervous that I was going to become a Black Panther. <laughs> <laughs> And it, 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 that was for farthest from my, my mind. It was uh -huh. like, I, I just wanted to train because I was enamored by martial arts. You know, I, I grew up watching the Green Hornet and, nice. and, and I watched Kung Fu and all that stuff. So it was, uh, you know, martial arts was something, but I didn't know about how to make my way to a martial arts school. Right. Didn't have that, that ability at that time. No one was in, you know, in my, my periphery that would, would say, hey, look, this, it's Christ school here's Christ school there but mm -hmm. the training in bondo started it for me and then from there i joined um i joined an eclectic uh karate system that was sort of a mishmash of uh of shotokan and and and, and some uh, uh jiu and and you know it was uh it was probably mma before mma got popular okay um, we uh we we did a lot of heavy sparring uh we competed all over New Jersey. We would go to New York a few times a year for different karate tournaments. And uh, I didn't spend a lot of time because I, you know, also as I got older and then I went to high school, you know, I started playing football and mm -hmm. I wrestled and I ran track. So I was trying to navigate, you know, through karate. So whenever I had a lull in, in, in time, I would get as much training as I could. And uh, it made me a better person. Um, mm -hmm. It was uh, it was interesting that uh, you see my sophomore year in high school I, I tested for Shodan. Oh wow! Okay. And my senior year, just before my senior in high school, I got my knee done. Wow. Okay. And, um, and so off to the University of Iowa, I mm -hmm. uh, got there. I was heavily recruited. I had to do a year at junior college at Ellsworth Community College. And, okay. Uh, got my grades. Uh, right. And then uh, finally was able to transfer and take advantage of the scholarship that was still out on the table for me. And uh, the gentleman that recruited me in Iowa, uh, Bernie Wyatt, knew that I had a strong liking to martial arts and I, you know, I had a martial arts background. Mm -hmm. So he introduced me to the uh, University of Iowa Sean Rue group. Nice. And uh, it was, uh, these guys were deep. They were 50 people deep, Wow! every class. And it was, I won't say it was uh, like a cult, but it felt <laughs> like, you know, 
it was like these guys were like robots. They would all change into their geese in the, in the locker room. And so we trained in the field house in Iowa City. Mm-hmm. And the field house, you had to see the field house. It was probably six, seven stories high. And so you had to run those steps. So these, these guys would literally run the steps all the way up until the, uh, the workout room that we, we trained in. Mm-hmm. So I got a taste of that for, for a little bit. And it was, uh, it was interesting. And wow. to see 50, 50 plus people running through the stairs all the way up. And, you know, by the time you got up there, your geese were drenched and, and, <laughs> and then you would do a hundred punches and a hundred kicks. And nice. it was, uh, I think he was trying to break those guys. I don't know if they were trying to break me. They almost <laughs> broke me, but they, uh, it, it was a great experience. And it was one of those experiences that out of everything that was going on with that group, it was probably the greatest awakening for me. Okay. Uh, one being that I, you know, I'm growing up, starting out with Bondo, and then I was training in an eclectic system that really, and a mishmash of styles and, 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 and things thrown together. Well, I got a chance um, through one of the black belts that was uh, a student of the University of Iowa Shore and Root Club. Mm-hmm. The instructor at the time basically asked him to kind of be my, uh, my mentor, my guy that would kind of help me prepare and kind of learn the system of what they were doing and how they did it. So he gave me the first book that was kind of like the greatest eye opening for me to to martial arts lenses and really Okinawan karate. And I had no idea what I was holding on to until once I started reading. And uh, the, uh, the the book at the time was uh, the essence of Okinawan karate do, and it was uh, by Shojin Nagamini Sensei, who was Matsubashi Ru, Sean Ru in Okinawa. Okay. I read that book from cover to cover. I kept that book for almost a year to a point where the black belt who had lent it to me basically begged me <laughs> to uh, get the book back. He says, Can, you know, I know you have it. I know you still read. He says, but I, I, I need to get my book back. And I was like, oh, man, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> but uh, when I got to the point where I could make some money and I could, I could find the book, I ended up buying the book when I got drafted by the New England Patriots. And I nice. kept it it's still in my library today. Cool. I want to back up just a little bit. Now, when you when you first went to Bondo, now you you were excited about going. So once you got into it and started training, what was it about it that made you want to stick with it? What specifically about that style made you stick with it for three years? Well, you know, as young kids, you know, it's, it's one, the sparring first, mm-hmm. first of all, because, you know, you're kind of standing there sitting on the floor watching, you know, two guys sparring. It's like, oh, man, I don't know if I'm really ready for that. But the temptation of I want to I want to do this, and and Bondo was really cool because you know we didn't wear like uh, we didn't wear geese like like the geese that you see in karate. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was uh, it was kung fuish pants uh, with the string at the bottom, and we wore like a dojo T-shirt. Okay, and so it was kind of cool watching the whole look of and the feel of the dojo. We were heavy into conditioning heavy into technique, heavy into kicking drills and combinations. And, and then we would do uh, what we do in karate, uh, yaksu kumite, so prearranged movement. And so we had a lot of prearranged movements that we were always working on. And then 
as we got a little older and we were taken to a few tournaments and we saw some events. So Tidy Cassell, I don't know if you know Tidy Cassell. He's a, mm-hmm. he's a big Kung Fu guy. He had a connection to the Bondo guys because the Bondo was big in the DC, Washington, DC, uh, New York, New Jersey area at mm-hmm. the late sixties, early seventies. And so Tidy Cassell was, was this Kung Fu guy who wanted to prove that Kung Fu could compete with karate. Okay. So he was sort of like, like a hero cult fiction to, to us. And, you know, it was like, you know, Tidy Cassell is going to be fighting in New York City. And so we saw him compete. And Tidy Cassell isn't a big guy. He's probably 5'8", five, 5'9", five, maybe 165. He was probably 175 pounds back in the day, maybe 5'9". But he wasn't a big guy. But he had to be pound for pound the toughest guy I'd ever seen. And he was a ground fighter. And he would start up upright, but the minute, you know, someone, you know, Hajime, uh, he dropped to the ground and he would do leg sweeps and takedowns and stuff like that. And he got into some pretty ferocious fights. So seeing that kind of got my juices flowing and, and the contact and the ability to defend. We also worked a lot of self-defense. So in order to, to you know, learn how to protect yourself and, you know, that piece was, uh, eye-opening as well okay wow and you had mentioned you know when you talked about getting into your next style you mentioned competition so what you know obviously you grew up an athlete and stuff so competition was something you're used to do you remember your first martial arts tournament and how you did yeah i uh wow probably (laughs) 12 i was like 12 13 (laughs) and again new york mostly new york and not as much New Jersey. New Jersey is more like local matches that would get set up back in that time. But we would go to, uh, my first tournament was Fred Hamilton's tournament in New York. Okay. And it was one of those tournaments that you'll love this. Uh, we take the train over to New York City. Uh, we probably leave six o'clock in the morning. We get there, the tournament is 7 8 o'clock registration. Uh, we probably don't compete until 9, 30, 10 o'clock. All of us young pups, we all get disqualified because aggressive contact. No <laughs> yeah. one gave us the rules. It just did. You're going to go to the tournament. You're all going to compete and good luck. And that was it. It was like you go, all of a sudden, you know, a guy runs into me, pow, I hit him in the face, follow up with a roundhouse kick. I get disqualified. So now I'm sitting and waiting. So now we don't know anything about anything else other than we've got to sit sit in the stands and we got to wait for the instructors to tell us that, okay, it's time to go home. Well, we don't realize that they are competing later on, probably noontime, one o'clock, where the black belts, the higher levels are all going to compete. Mm -hmm. Now they're competing and then there's, uh, there's other matches that are set up. So we don't leave New York City until midnight. And this is a Sunday, and I got school the next day. <laughs> wow. um, we somehow, we get back home. We are dead tired, but we all have to get up and go to school the next day. Ain't no getting out of that. And uh, we're like walking zombies in school the next day. But it was probably the most exciting thing that we had ever done at that time. And, uh, you know, it's like, 
you know, someone asked me once before, how much did it cost for the term? I said, I think, I think $5. And I think that was more money than my mother was ever willing to give, give me at that time. <laughs> and somehow I convinced her to give me $5 to compete in a, in a karate tournament. Wow. But I got early disqualification. I had to sit around all day and watch people that were more experienced than, than we were. Wow. So then did you pretty much throughout your um, martial arts career, did you, did you stick with the competition part of it or, or did you did. kind of put that aside when you started getting more serious about football? No, I still, I, I, and then as we, as I switched out of Bondo and then we were training in the, uh, ninjutsuru, the ninja, uh, karate, uh, group that we were part of, we started competing locally. So it was basically, uh, four or five dojos with, agreed to have a tournament at a boys and girls club and there were going to be green belt level brown belt level black belt level competition and it was all kumite and uh it was like you know you get there and all of a sudden what rank are you you competing uh green belt what rank are you brown belt and you end up fighting against somebody and you you maybe won a trophy and you didn't win a trophy Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I competed all the way through like junior high school and then high school was a little bit more limited. I think I did maybe three or four because now I'm starting to realize, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I'm a little bit more organized with football and, mm-hmm. and wrestling and, and track. So I don't have that window anymore. So I'm, I'm like really select and what, what events that I, I get in, I get to Iowa and, uh, I do a couple of tournaments uh, with a good buddy of mine who I end up making friends with who had trained in Goju. He was a Goju-ru guy. Okay. And uh, he and I would uh, jump in his car and we would go. We, we entered a Tang Sudo tournament. Nice. A couple of times. Uh, one year, <laughs> he got first place middleweight. I got second place heavyweight. And then we came back the following year. He got first place middleweight. I got first place heavyweight. Then I ended up fighting for the grand championship. And uh, people didn't realize who I was until like the second year I came back. And like they kept saying the name, Andre Tippett, Andre Tippett, Andre Tippett. They said, are you the Andre Tippett that plays for the University of Iowa? I said, yeah. They said, oh my God, we didn't know you were, <laughs> you competed. <laughs> And I had the itch to compete. And my buddy and I were, you know, we were training a little bit together and we were like, let's do this. And we did. I was, uh, I, this was probably 1977, 78. Okay. That we, 79, probably that I, that one, or maybe 80. At that point, had the safety gear started becoming part of tournaments yet or not quite yet? I know that was sometime in the late seventies. Not quite because I didn't wear, I don't, I I was, me and my buddy talked about that a long time ago. I don't remember wearing any safety foot. I knew June Reed was coming out. Macho had some stuff coming later on, but I didn't have any safety gear on at that time. Okay. And uh, so I think more, I may have had wristbands, uh, ace bandages wrapped around my hands trying to intimidate people. <laughs> nice. So then now you did the Shore and Rue all through college? I did Shore and Rue. I trained with those guys for about three years. Okay. And then, uh, I, and then 1982, uh, I get drafted by the New England Patriots. So then uh, did you, were you able to keep training then once you uh, played professional football or, or as, at I, least as much as you wanted to, were you able to? Yeah. Well, when I got to the Patriots, um, I was 1982. I was, after I found a place to live, 
Secondly, I was looking for a place to train, believe it or not, in the <laughs> off season. And uh, I went through the yellow pages, just like most people do. Nice. And uh, I was all in Boston. I lived on the South Shore at the time. So I'm in Boston. I'm in Cambridge. I'm checking out on an Aikido school. I'm checking out the JKA, uh, the Shotokan Federation. We should uh, mention for, for the young listeners out there, the yellow pages are like Google on paper. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So I, I had about four schools that I deemed to be legitimate schools that I could go and check out, that, okay. you know, good accreditation. And so I, I, I kept looking at the drive. I said, this is going to be like a 40, 50 minute and then no telling what's going to happen if I hit traffic. I said, I don't know. So I didn't pull the trigger at that point. And I would do this, you know, probably once or twice a week, just looking at places. And then one day in my town where I lived, I was doing some banking one day. I was putting it, going in to, to, to make a, a deposit. And uh, just before I walked into the bank, for some reason, something caught my eye. And I looked to my right and I looked across the street and I saw Okinawan Karate Club. Now, I had been going to my bank now for about two months. And I'm like, as many times as I've gone in this bank, I had never seen the sign of the karate school over there. Wow. And it, it caught me. And I like, I ran into the bank made a deposit, came out of the bank, and it was probably 4.30 or so. Mm -hmm. Saw that the door was open, open sign was up, and I walked in and uh, basically, you know, I'm like, oh my God, I didn't know you were here. I said, I'd bank across the street and I happened to notice your sign. I was wondering if I could come back and watch class. I said, what do you, what do you, you know, you guys teach Okinawan karate, what style do you? And so he was telling me, uh, I teach Wei Tiru. It's one of the four major systems in Okinawa. And I'm like, okay, wow. That, that, that. Didn't really know much about Wei Tiru. All I, mm -hmm. I knew at the time was uh, Shonru, Goju, a little bit of Ishinru, but it was just, even in Nagamini's book, I look back and I'm like, how did I miss that part? But uh, got invited back. I ran home. I only lived probably 10 minutes from, from the dojo. So okay. went home, had dinner, came back, sat, watched the class, and I signed up the same night. Nice. And uh, I've been a student of the dojo now for, I want to say, 40 years. Wow. So what was it about that? What Watching that class, what was it about that style, that instructor, that school? What kind of drew you into that? It was, uh, well, one, it was, it was close. And, <laughs> and, and then I, you know, and obviously doing my homework as quickly as I could to kind of, you know, research as much as I could, find out a little bit more about Weichiru, understanding that one, it was traditional karate system. Two, it was obviously one of the four major systems that uh, was in Okinawa. And knowing that in the area that I lived in was actually the, like the, a melting pot for Weichiru in the United States because George Matson, being the godfather of American Weichiru, brought it to Boston. And from there, it expanded all the way through the six New England states. So there, you know, he, he left his mark everywhere in New England. And it just so happens that, you know, this was the hotbed for Weichiru. I enjoyed watching the workout. It was sort of that kind of seeing everything for what it's worth when you know when we talk about a complete package of martial arts training so you're talking about your kihon and kata and, and bankai and yaksu kumite and, and ju kumite it was you know it was kind of like that 
seeing it really up close now. I'm a little bit older now. I'm a little bit more mature. And I'm like, you know, this is, uh, this is good. I like this. This has some, uh, some history to it. It has, uh, you know, some, some really, some good base, good foundation. I said, I, I see myself doing this for a little bit. Nice. And uh, it, it just, through that connection with my instructor, he and I have been like, you know, big brothers, you know, little brother, big brother to each other. And we've traveled together. We've traveled to Okinawa quite a few times together and gotten to train and watched our kids kind of grow up together. And it's been awesome. So throughout your 11 years then with the Patriots, during the actual football season, did, were you able to train at all then, or were you pretty much only training in karate during the yeah, offseason? I, I would, I would, well, you know, I was gone ho so I figured, you know, Tuesdays was our off day in uh, professional football. Okay. So I figured either late, uh, Monday or Tuesday. So I, I was kind of consistent okay. with coming in like on a Tuesday and getting a workout and just reminding them, look, you know, it's in season. So, you know, I'm not going to kill myself, but I want to <laughs> stay on top of, I want to stay on top of my game. Okay. And uh, so I would periodically come in on a, on a, on a Monday or a Tuesday. And then sometimes even, you know, I would even maybe do a, a, a light workout on a Friday evening because, you know, we would practice and we'd be off the field by, like two or three o'clock. So you know, I had a little time. I said, well, you know what? Let me sneak over to the dojo and go train. So, nice. uh, but once the off season was around, I was back in and I was going and uh, I was uh, competing uh, tournaments. Okay. Wasn't, wasn't supposed to. I was, was going to say, contract. did they let yeah. you do that? Okay. <laughs> nice. It technically was in my contract. And, you know, if something had to happen to me, you know, through the years, I mean, I competed a long time. I mean, you're talking back, you know, as far as from, you know, 72, 73, I stopped competing probably 95. Wow. 94, 95, I stopped competing. Dang, that's impressive. So, you know, I, st I stayed in the game. I, yeah. I, I, I loved it. And nice. the, the funny part was, you know, I'd be in the tournaments and then all of a sudden people hear the name and it, it, I'd get a chuckle out of it because all of a sudden, you know, <laughs> who is this guy? Because, you know, you're looking at a big guy and – so people, my friends see YouTube videos of me fighting and stuff. They say, why are you always fighting little guys? I said, well, here's what happened. <laughs> There's a lightweight division, middleweight division, heavyweight division. We all win our divisions, and then they need to figure out who the grand champ is. And so you just draw a number, and if you're lucky, you don't have to. And if you're unlucky, we end up going against each other. And I said, people would always assume because I was big, tall, that I was slow and all of a sudden mm. we're on the line and you get the Hajime and then all of a sudden I'm blitzing off the line and they're like, whoa, wait a minute, what <laughs> in the hell is going on here? So I had a lot of fun with that. That was, uh, you know, being light on my feet, quickness, mm -hmm. and people were, man, I had no idea. I said, yeah, I know most people don't, you know, and, <laughs> you know, I use it to my advantage, but nice. uh, I love to compete. I mean, I, you know, I put my mouth where my, heart was and, and uh it was a lot of great competition especially here in new england area mm -hmm. um i used to compete in the crane tournaments which was a big new england karate association okay it was the open karate system uh that that competed in the crane now i did that from 82 until about 90 
And then I switched over to just strictly AAU and traditional Japanese Okinawan tournaments. Okay. Moving forward. Wow. And uh, so it was, it was two different worlds. Yeah. Two different worlds. So uh, did you ever try to recruit any of your uh, teammates uh, into martial arts? I had three teammates that trained probably for about a year. When I opened up, I opened up my dojo in 90, 91, 92. I opened it up. So I went from 91, 92 until about 2001. I closed the dojo. Okay. Uh, but uh, yeah, I had, I had three teammates that trained religiously for about a year. Okay. And cool. uh, they they saw they saw the benefits of it, and they understood. Well, they they watch me, and they're like, "Man, I got to I got to do I got to learn that stuff." Nice. And I love how they were. Like, I got to learn that stuff. And I said, "Well, you know." Talking about te- te- teaching a little bit. So, what do you remember the first time? Like, what belt leveled? When did you first start teaching? When did that become something that you were passionate about? I, well, obviously, you know, even when I was training back in high school, my during my high school years, my my late. Uh, middle school years, um, you know, at, at the brown belt level is probably the first time since they would get somebody, you know, give me a couple of people. I want you to go show them work punches and kicks with these guys. So, yeah, you got to feel for that. But okay. it wasn't until uh, really, though, when I when I joined the Okinawa Karate Club that, you know, after a couple of years of training there that uh, and since they knew I had a background, black belt background. And so he would let me teach the sparring. Oh, nice. So I was always in charge of the sparring at the dojo. So that right away, you know, I was, I was heavily involved uh, with, you know, making a contribution. And then I eventually, as I moved up, I think I got to Sandan. And at Sandan, I, I actually tested in Okinawa. Oh, wow. I said, you know, I think I'm ready to open up a dojo. And I opened up the dojo and I said, I ran the dojo for uh, almost, almost nine, 10 years. Okay. My biggest regret was closing the dojo. Really? Yeah. And uh, I was trying to, at the time I was kind of still working and I still work for the organization now, but I was working with the Patriots, but I was trying to become this next general manager. I was trying to be somebody big Mm -hmm. out there and, uh, scouting was part of it. And I figured that, uh, my opportunity was coming up and right around 2000, I had to make a decision. Do I keep the dojo, let my senior, but cause I had, I had about 10 black belts at that time. And so I'm like, do I, uh, let the seniors teach? I, I show up, you know, a couple of times, you know, uh, a month, just, you know, when I can during the, during the off season and trust that they're going to do the same job that I, uh, that I've done with the dojo. And I just, I couldn't make a decision. I was having a hard time with leaving that responsibility to someone else. Cause I would hate for something to happen to a student and I'm not there. Right. And, you know, my guys are, you know, I had some guys that were kind of wanted to make tough guys out of seven, eight year olds. And I'm like, no, <laughs> we don't, we don't do that. I said, that's, that's not how we, and you know, they were good guys, but I was just afraid of not being there. Okay. And kind of supervising guys and everything and making sure they were, things were done the right way. Oh, you're actually but my, I, my second guest in the last two weeks that has said their biggest regret was closing their school. Yeah, I yeah. did. Cause I, you know, I, I started teaching again. This is my second year. I started a karate club at a local college oh, nice. here in town. Okay. And, uh, 
it's probably greatest excitement that I've had in a long time. And, you know, the students are out on break right now. They should be back in another week. But uh, second year, I got about eight students that have been training with me now two years. And it uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a That's lot of awesome. fun kind of getting back in there again. So think back to then when you were in high school, when you first started teaching to now, what do you think has changed the most about your teaching style? Patience, perseverance. You know, I, I tell students all the time, I said, I will repeat a correction to you 50 times if I have to, because I'm figuring by demonstrating and showing you and you're still not picking it up, either the communication, something is getting lost in between, but I've learned to be even more patient and understanding with the students because, you know, we, we think that, you know, you, you sit there, you drill them, you drill them, you drill them, you show it, you show it. And then all of a sudden, you know, okay, all right, everybody push back. We're going to do it as a group. And they're still having problems, you know, understanding the, the, the movement of the kata or the combinations of the yaksu kumite and, uh, or the bunka. I don't know. How to, I'm, I'm forgetting them. I'm mixing the moves up. So patience, patience. And, and I, I've learned that from, from Mike Sensei, uh, Steve Banchek at the Okinawa Karate Club. I watched him. And he's the person that I kind of hone my teaching skills under because he's a teacher by trade. And so at the time when I first started there, he was still teaching during the day and then he had his dojo at night. But he specialized in teaching young kids and it was amazing. And I learned a lot from him and patience is, is obviously one of the things that he always talked about. And just I watched him with the kids. Now, he was stern. He was tough with them. Mm-hmm. He expected a lot, uh, but he was very patient. And I think that's the one thing that still stands out with me today. It's just, you know what? You got to be patient with people. And, you know, you can have a room full of people. You can have 10 people in a room. You can you can describe something and, you know, guarantee you ask each person what they saw. Everyone's going to give you a different version of what they saw you do. You know, you just have to patience. Patience is nice. It. So talk a little bit about uh, training in Okinawa and what that's like. That was eye-opening. And uh, and it was pretty cool because, you know, we're so used to doing things as a group. On the dojo floor, you got 10 to 15 to 20 people on the floor and everything's done in groups. The kihon, kata, and then when you break up and you do some individual stuff, but you always come back in groups. And in Okinawa... It's not like that. It's like eight or nine people in the class. There's really like the class starts at seven o'clock. So all of a sudden you'll see three or four people coming in at 7, 10, 7, 15. And you know, they'll train two hours, but it's like, so you're looking up and you're like, this guy's late, you know, since he's not saying anything. But in Okinawa, it's all individual. So they'll say, Brian, son, you come up, you show me. I want to see your Sanchen. Sanchen Kata. So you do your Sanchen Kata. And all of a sudden, you're getting corrections as you're doing the kata, and you know you'll go through it, and then he'll tell you work on this, this, and this, and he'll tell you, you know, he'll show you a way. He'll Andre, son, come up, San Chen. And so what we all get every time that we went to Okinawa, it was all individual attention. So I thought, oh, they're doing this just for us, but I later found out that's the Okinawan way. They don't teach as a group. You don't have now, I think at some point they tried to do that because of the military background mm-hmm. and, you know, the, 
back in the, in, in the day. But for them, they find out that you get more out of the individual instruction. And you also get to find out who's self-motivated, who's, who's listening, who, who understands what's going on. And, and you can figure out who's going to advance the quickest and in, in different things like that. Because, you know, it's funny, you know, you're so used to jumping in, into a group of 15 to 20 people and, you know, everybody's, you know, being pushed by each other. But now it's like, I'm doing the kata, I've got some corrections. So now I got to go look in the mirror and work on my waiuki block, my circle block, or I got to go work on, on my kick, or I got to work on my, uh, my timing on, on a combination move that I need to be better. And you do it. And that's what you're doing. So Sensei is running through everybody's kata and he does, you know, you do three katas each time. There's only eight katas in our system. Mm -hmm. So it's three san chin, one at a time. And then uh, he may ask you to do one of the other intermediate, and then they may do the first black belt kata, which is say san. And then if you happen to be on a more advanced kata, you'll be invited to do those. But it's like, before you know it, you know, you're looking up at the clock, you got there at seven o'clock, 6.30, and it's almost quarter to 10. And you're like, where the hell did time go? Nice. But you've been in there, you've been hitting the Makawara, you've been working with the uh, Kami jars for strengthening of the wrist and the, and the lats and different things like that. So there's so much going on, but you're kind of looking there and you're, and you're looking lost for the first couple of nights because it's like, it's untypical of what you know what you used to but that was my first trip and and it was uh it was pretty cool but i tell people when i went there for the very first time it opened my eyes to greatness basically it was it made my karate better okay um because i had individual attention i got a chance uh because of our relationship with so many great instructors over there we were able to go to different dojos and train so you know, you go to five, we were able to go to four or five different dojo wow. and they were all different, but similar. Mm -hmm. And it was intense because you had to show every time you stepped up because you couldn't hide in the group. That's the other nice piece about being on the floor with the group. You could kind of hide, kind of not go so hard on this time. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm going to wait to the second, uh, Nibon. Second time we do kata, I'll, I'll go a little harder. But when you're in Okinawa and you're doing individual, it's like, <laughs> I can't you, do that. You got to put a hundred percent effort. So I'm there 15 days and I come back and it's like, my karate is so different. I actually come back during, uh, during the springtime. So I'm able to go to, you know, an AAU event or you're going to go to the, go to a national championship or go out to Ozawa's big tournament out in Vegas. And all of a sudden, I'm presenting kata, and I got my friends that are like, man, dude, you look different, man. Where, 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 where you been? I said, man, I just got back from Okinawa. Like, oh, my God. And uh, even even my teammates took note of the difference because I, I had spent like a month in, uh, in Okinawa wow. uh, a few times. And, you know, to be there for a month, clean eating. I mean, the, the Okinawa is the way they eat. And freshness of the food is unbelievable. I came back, you could probably strike a match off of me. That's, that's <laughs> how tight I, because I was also able to work out 
get my lifting and running in in the morning on uh, Kadena Air Force Base. So okay. uh, we had a connection. So I was able to get that workout early and then do the karate training uh, later in the day. So, wow. but the individual attention is the thing that, uh, that really sets it apart for you in Okinawa. That's really cool. Now I, I read somewhere that you've also done weapons training over the years. So just talk a little bit about that kind of like what's, what's your favorite one or two weapons and stuff. And have you ever competed with weapons? I absolutely love weapons. Always wanted to do weapons and never had the real opportunity. And because of my connection or the trips out West, because uh, Ozawa sensei used to do a big international karate Kobodo championship. And so you had who's who of Japanese, Okinawan, Kobodo, West Coast, East Coast, mm -hmm. uh, people from different parts of the, of the world that were coming. This is like a two day, three day tournament. And uh, so you would see the masters demonstrating. And uh, I had messed around a little bit uh, since a Hillman, Bruce Hillman uh, down in uh, PA teaches Kobodo. So my, my first introduction was with him, had him come to our Okinawan Karate Club to do a seminar one, one weekend. We dabbled in Bo and uh, uh, I think Sai at the time. And um, we, we messed around and, and we, some of us competed with, you know, a couple of the copies that were taught to us. But it wasn't until I kind of was in uh, Vegas for the Ozawa tournament that I got a chance to see uh, Oshiro Sensei do Yamani Ru. And uh, if you've ever seen Yamani Ru, it's one of those systems of Kobodo that it flows consistently, it, it's effortlessly, and uh, there's no stop gaps. It's just continuously hand up. Was, I was caught off guard by watching him and I saw him and went right up, made an introduction, said hello, since I would love to come out and, and visit. And his dojo was out in San Francisco. Okay. So I would go out uh, once a year, I would go out for about four days and I would just train, just would do one-on-one private lessons with him. I did that for, for a long time, probably 10 years, maybe. Wow. So at some point, Sensei was big. He had a lot of following. He would travel a lot. He'd do a lot of gashukus. And Sensei was telling me, he says, Anderson, you know, you fly way to, uh, way out to San Diego. You know, you, he's talking to me. He says, you come way out to San Francisco. He says, uh, maybe you think about uh, training with Nishimi Sensei, who's in Cincinnati. And I'm looking, I'm like, I kind of felt like he was kicking me out of the dojo. I'm like, <laughs> So say, is there a problem? I said, I don't mind flying out. I kind of, I kind of love getting on the airplane and come out and train with you. But he kind of was, you know, like, hey, you know, I know it's a lot for you to travel, come out here like that. And, but I kept it in the back of my head. And then at some point, Nishimi Sensei and I ran into each other, and you know, we talked, and we he had trained. He was teaching in Connecticut at one point for a weekend seminar at one of my buddies' dojos, and I, I came up for it. And before you know it. You know, Sensei said, you know, why don't you come out to uh, Cincinnati and visit sometime? And I ended up going out there and seeing him again. And the next thing you know, I've now, you know, been with him now, probably training with Sensei now, probably maybe eight years. Oh, wow. Very yeah. Cool. So I, I love, I love Bo. I love Sai. Okay. Uh, Yamani Ru 
mostly the Yamani Ru systems in Okinawa are strictly bow. Okay. But uh, Nishimi Sensei and Oshiro Sensei both have instituted, obviously, bow is the primary, but uh, secondary, uh, Sai, Tumfa, Kama, Eko, which is an or. Okay. And uh, I think I mentioned Kama. Yep. We have, uh, they created katas for that. Okay. And uh, I, just, I just love it because Kobodo, as I tell my students and I've told students through the years, it's going to help improve your karate because the Kobodo is just an extension of your karate. Mm-hmm. And uh, I saw that immediately when I started going out training with Shiro Sensei back in the day that my karate got better because of me working with the bow so much and doing different things like that. It did. It made my karate better. It made, made me a better karate student. Nice. So what do you think from your karate background helped you with football? So I tell, I tell people all the time, for me personally, it was like self-defense. It was like hand-to-hand combat because I was a defensive player. Okay. So offensive guys are trying to block me. Guys are trying to knock me off my feet, knock me down if they can, move me off my pedestal. So now I got to figure out how to use my strength, my speed, which I was blessed to have the strength and the speed that I did just naturally. And then to have the ability to understand and and know how to manipulate and use people's body leverage Mm -hmm. and how to deflect people's hands and and different things. So what I was doing was basically looking at it like a a fight, you know, guys trying to, you know, tag me. So I'm going to get his hands off of me and I'm going to use leverage and all of a sudden I'm going to swing him one way and I'm going to go the other way. And that's what I was able to do. I was able to use fast hands, be aggressive, and uh, constantly manipulating people. They didn't realize what I was doing. Just flicking and, and, and moving and, and, and hitting and hitting people in the form. Now, we do Kote Kite, uh, kite a lot of body pounding in Weichiru. Okay. So not many people want to get hit in the forearms. <laughs> and so I'm hitting, I'm hitting you in your forearms. And all of a sudden, you're getting that tingly feeling like, what the hell did he just do to me? <laughs> nice. And all of a sudden, naturally, they're snatching their hands back. And me, as a pass rusher, going to go get the quarterback, you've already dropped your hands. Now I'm going to take your uniform or your jersey or your shoulder. I'm going to tug, punch through, get behind you and go hit the quarterback. So I was able to do all of those things and uh, use it as extra material in my, uh, my repertoire. That's cool. So what advice would you give someone who is thinking of getting involved in martial arts for the first time? They know nothing about it and they just want some tips. Hey, what, you know, what should I look for in a school? What should I look for in an instructor? And, you know, maybe something I should avoid. I'll tell you what I've always said to people. And I used to get this question all the time. I would find seriously, I would look up and I, you know, I, I kind of knew who were good schools, who were bad schools. Mm-hmm. And I would tell parents, they would come in and say, oh, you know, we're looking at dojos. You know, hope you don't mind us coming in. We, we're going to look around. And can you have any recommendations? I would give them, I said, I'd like for you to go visit these four schools. You should go make choices. You should always have choices. Mm-hmm. I'd give them two, what I thought was kind of, eh, I wouldn't let my worst enemy go there. And <laughs> then that's really good schools. And I say, I want you to go see those schools. And then you make your choice. I said, because 
what would happen was they would go there and they would come back and they say, oh my God, I can't believe what I saw in this one school or this other school is really good, but it's far away. But we really like what you do. You gave, you let our son do, you know, a free class and we, he likes what's going on here. So we're going to sign up here. So, you know, I tell people all the time, I said, you have to, one, make sure that, you know, place that you're going or you're going to sign your kids up for is a repo school, a place that's going to care for your kids, going to care for you. And it's not so much as, you know, who's the toughest person standing when the end, when, when the end of class. It's who's going to be compassionate, who's trying to not only teach good karate, but teaching you to become a good person. Uh, the Okinawans won't accept you in dojo if they get a feel that you're a bad person or you're, you're a person that's out to hurt people or or they've heard bad things or, you know, they have a feeling, you know, and I think we all have that intuition about us. It's like we tell our kids, I don't like that. Don't bring that person to our house again or I don't yep. want you hanging out with. And I think it's the same way, but they guard their karate in that, that way that, you know, person is bad person. They won't accept you in the dojo. They won't train with you. They'll make up a reason why you can't come. <laughs> and that's the thing that I, I've tried to share with people. I, to this day, I tell people all the time, I said, you know, you gotta, they allow you to come in and watch. And if you see that, you know, there's patience on the floor, there's a lot of repetition, there's correction that's being done. There's a little sternness, but fair. I said, you know, that's that's one place to consider. But if you go there where they got to want to make you sign a contract and, oh, you can't come and watch unless you sign up right now to do five classes at $8,000. I said, you, you not, not only do you run out of there, you go and don't you ever return. See, because <laughs> there's a lot of charlatans that, are, that yep. are out there. Unfortunately. There are people that give martial arts a bad name. You know, I, I tell people all the time, they're great Japanese Okinawan, Korean, Chinese uh, systems that are out there. And I say, you just got to do your homework. You just can't fall for the first thing that you see, that you believe. I said, because yeah, a lot of people that know how to convince you to sign on the dotted line, but they may not be good at teaching the karate or teaching judo, or teaching kung fu or teaching tang sudo or taekwondo, but they're good at manipulating and bringing you in. So you got to be careful and you got to careful about that. There, there's so many nightmare stories that I've heard about, mm -hmm. you know, different schools in the area that I, you know, I just know enough now to tell people, here's what you're looking for. And you go out and you got choices. Nothing like having choices. I said, you don't go right. out and buy your first car without test driving three or four other cars before you buy that final car. And it's no different. I said, I would never let my kids or anybody else's kids go somewhere where I didn't think that they'd be taken care of. That is a nice thing compared to like, you know, when, when you first started, there's definitely more options where, you know, back then there was maybe one, one school in a hundred mile radius where now you might have 10 within a five mile radius. <laughs> so you definitely have Absolutely. options now. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and, and, you know, back in my day, you know, wasn't a lot of kids training. I mean, right. we had to train with a lot of adults. You know, it was like, you know, we were always big for our age. So yeah. they assumed that, you know, we could take it. But, you know, <laughs> hindsight being what it is, you're, you're right. There, there's so many options now. You've been in martial arts most of your life. What are your thoughts on MMA and the UFC? And is that something you're a fan of? I once told some law enforcement friends one time and they were asking me about training. Mm -hmm. And I said, if you want to train for the art, then do karate or 
Tangsudo or Taekwondo, you know, good traditional schools that are going to teach it art the right way. You want to do that. But being in law enforcement and you know that at some point you may have to throw hands on somebody, I said, tell you what, MMA is uh, it, it got it's going to give you everything that you probably may encounter as a law enforcement official. And so I've always been enamored by it. I know it's it's for the young at heart. I mean, right. I don't think that was something that would strike my fancy. I just, I've always been in love with the art of karate, though, the art of the way. I've always enjoyed that, that aspect of it. So I never went to kickboxing route and, you know, and different things like that. I, I like the art part of it, but I always thought it was great for law enforcement officials. Nice. Who are three or four names you would put on your personal Mount Rushmore of martial arts? Wow. I tell you what, I've been blessed because of, you know, the fact that I played professional football and, you know, got to know a lot of people. And I, too, kind of reach out to folks out of the sky blue and, and make connections that way. I've met so many people that are freaking awesome. You know, when you meet people and they have that ability to make it make you feel like they've known you for 30 years, mm -hmm. that's special. And so I would love to have met Kan Boon and Kan Aiwechi, you know, the founders of our system. Right. I would have loved to have met someone like Don Drager. Oh, yeah. Yes. Um, what a wonderful experience. I mean, I, I've been reading his books forever. I know a gentleman, and it's funny, I'm going to tell you this guy's name. His name is Bill Hayes. He's a Shobayashi uh, Sean Rue guy, former Marine. Uh, he trained in Okinawa. And I kind of found out about him because I read his book. He has a book out, My Journey with the Grandmaster. So I read the book and he's big in the Virginia, D.C., Maryland area. Okay. I know a lot of Sean Rue, Goju Rue, Sean Rue guys. Sean Rue is big in that area. And uh, he's always, they, they always get together for these gashukus down there, these intensive training, those three or four day training camps. And his name has been bounced around a lot. And I got a chance to kind of just follow him. He and I have always corresponded through email. And we have never sat. We've always talked about we're going we're gonna to run into each other. and we're gonna. He's one of those guys that has a wealth of knowledge. Okay. And he's a guy that looks like me. You know, I always tell my kids, I say, you know, you always want to find somebody that, you know, like-minded, that's successful, that's doing things the right way, that look like you and befriend those people, see how they're going to help make your life better, how they're going to help make you a better person. And he's one of those guys that I've heard nothing but great, great things. I know a lot of people that know him and they all have told me the same thing. So I, that would be a guy that uh, would uh, be on my Mount Rushmore. I know... I said, I know a lot of time. I've been so blessed to meet great people. We have someone in our karate system that I just adore. Guy, uh, Sensei Thompson, big uh, you guy out of Kalamazoo, Michigan. He's a former Army Ranger. He was, and I believe at the same time that uh, George Matson was training with Kanai Weichi. And I think Sensei stayed in Kanai Weichi's dojo like. 10 years. Okay. And I mean, that experience alone, and I've had him at my dojo teaching the seminar and I've, you know, he and I have been together quite a few times, quiet, but he's the kind of guy that you could 
get like four of his former Ranger buddies and they could cripple a state. Nice. They could do half of a, a, a region. That's how sharp and smart and, and, and dangerous they are, you know, mm-hmm. but he's the nicest gentleman in the world. Okay. And so, you know, I know Sensei Thompson, but I, I, I throw him up there anyway. Okay. You mentioned Don Drager, and I, I, I interviewed Sensei Fumio Demura, and he talked about Don Drager too. Oh, it's amazing. I mean, to see his work and, you know, I, I like reading stuff like that. And yeah. To hear, you know, he basically learned how to speak the language. He, he trained in their dojo. He got promoted by the Japanese, which is probably hard, especially during that time that they don't want to give foreigners that type of rank or that acknowledgement at the time. So for him to have earned that respect, to earn the rank and join organizations that are not normally invite, open to him for invitation. And he was able to be part of some, some pretty good movements there. And uh, it just he just struck me as, a, as someone that would be really cool to kind of listen to and have a conversation with. Definitely. So in all your years of martial arts, is there one or two philosophies that you've learned that are just super important to you? They're the top of your list. You keep coming back to them. I have two things that I, that I, I use. And you know, it's, it's funny. They go, they can go football or karate. Okay. One is Shoshin. I always say Shoshin to my, I said, remember Shoshin. Shoshin means a beginner's mind. What I mean behind that is it's easy for the mind to become closed to new ideas. So I would tell, you know, the white belts or the black belts that once were white belts, don't forget where you came from and you keep this beginner mentality of a beginner's mind. And, you know, I used to have the kids write stories or reports on Shoshin. They would research it and they would understand it. So I always use Shoshin. I use Shoshin also in football. It's the same concept, no matter how good you get. And I mean, my rookie year was 1982. My last year was 93. I've had four, five different head coaches. And each time I had a new position coach, I never took the attitude that, you know, what are you going to teach me? I'm a, I'm, I'm a five-time all-pro. But no, I didn't take that attitude. It was like, I it's going to teach me. So each turn of my career, it was somebody new that I got a chance to work with, and they made me a better football player. Okay. Um, Nani Karobi Yaoki. You know it as fall down seven times, get up eight. Yep. And it's like that. It's a proverb of basically never giving up. It, it's that, you know, I, it's that indomitable spirit. Mm-hmm. And it's like life looking you right in your eye. And if you want to quit, it's okay to quit. But if you want to fight, here's the way you will yourself on someone. You sp- and it was the same thing with me. It's like, I, you know, I'm, I'm fighting you in the fourth, in the first quarter. And then come fourth quarter, everybody's a little tired. We got some wounds. Everybody's cut up and bleeding a little bit. And now I got to figure out how I'm going to will my spirit on you. And that's that Nana Karobi Yaoki, fall down seven times, you get up eight. And you just wear somebody's mentality. You just, you just wear them out, wear them out, wear them out. Those are the two things that I constantly use, uh, okay. football and, and karate. Nice. I like that. All right, I got a few fun questions to wrap it up here. And this this one you might have already answered earlier on, but do you have a favorite martial arts book? Wow, that essence of uh, Okinawan Karate Do, I tell everybody yep. it's a great book, no matter if you're Japanese or Okinawan stylist by uh, Shoshin Nagamini. 
My other book that I got back in the day was Living the Martial Way. And that basically was like the do's and don'ts of karate. Um, And it was it was kind of it was cool. I came across it because I used to go to bookstores back in the day when, you know, before Amazon. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I was able to go to these bookstores and I just, you know, would look through books. And I that Living the Martial Way was pretty good. uh, Forrest Morgan was, I think, the author. But it literally took you through everything. And it's one of those books that the do's and don'ts. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Zen and the martial arts is something that I saw a long yeah. time ago. I read through that, Joe Hyman. Joe Hyams, yeah, and, great book. Um, Karate Do, My Way of Life. Everybody, I think everybody and anybody, no matter what style, Okinawan, Japanese, Korean, or the stylist, have read uh, Funakoshi's uh, uh, Karate Do, My Way of Life. Yep, nice. Those are some great books. <laughs> I got a ton of books too, but <laughs> the ones that those, those books are kind of like the ones that stand out the most for me that did a lot for me. Very cool. All right. Now this one, you might not have an answer for, I know you were, you were a younger guy in the eighties, so maybe, but uh, do you have a favorite martial arts video game? Were you ever into video games? I, I, I wasn't. Okay. I wasn't. <laughs> no problem. Video games. Yeah. That's usually 50, 50. So some guests, yeah, yes, yeah. some guests <laughs> no. but all right. How about a favorite martial arts TV show? Wow. Well, Obviously, um, for me, uh, Wild Wild West. Oh, nice. James Conrad was yes. doing karate. People don't even realize what they were seeing, but mm-hmm. I knew it. Uh, I knew he had a martial arts background because I was always buying Karate Illustrated Black Belt magazines. And, you know, back in the day, they were like 50 cents. Yep. And I, that was more money than God to me than, uh, <laughs> uh, than Kung Fu. Yep. Um, then uh, the Avengers uh, oh, nice. yes. and Green Hornet. Green Hornet. Okay. Some was, good answers. Green Hornet didn't last long, but it was. Yeah, unfortunately. Was uh, Cobra Kai, which is now. Yes. But, you know, I enjoyed because I enjoyed the Karate Kid uh-huh. movies. I love I, I love it because it, it opened the door to karate training for people who had never seen karate before, people mm-hmm. that always wanted to do karate. So they saw the Karate Kid and they're like, you know, how much is this really true? I said, well, you know, they, they took, they ad lived on some things. I said, yep. but it's the concept. Yeah. All right. Well, that kind of leads into the next one. Favorite martial arts movie. I think everybody in my era was Into the Dragon. Yep. My first martial art movie, though, was Five Fingers of Death, which was crazy. Nice. The real martial art movie that kind of like said, oh, wow. We ran out of the movie theater thinking we were all Bruce Lee was Into the Dragon. <laughs> But nowadays, you know, it's, I love the John Wick series, even though, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like 15 minute fight scenes, it's still the action of what, what you're seeing that, that holds your attention. I even like the, the equalizer with uh, Denzel Washington. I mean, he's throwing some things out there, letting people know that, you know, no matter how old you are, you know, you can still get down. Yeah. He's got, there's some good fight scenes in those movies. So. All right, so final question. This one doesn't have to be a martial arts movie, just a favorite movie fight scene. A favorite movie fight scene. My favorite movie fight scene. Wow. So I didn't throw Billy Jack in there Ah. because it really wasn't full martial arts. But the fact that, and I tell people this all the time. They said, well, you know that wasn't Billy Jack. That was like Boo Hong Song. I was like, yeah, I know that. I said, I used to have the, I had the karate magazine he was featured in. (laughs) I said, but the fact that Billy Jack said, I'm going to take my right foot and I'm going to hit you on your left side of your face, <laughs> and there's nothing you're going to be 
be able to do about it. And then he takes on everybody in that park, walk, running around barefooted. I thought that was the coolest, coolest thing in the world. So nice. that that's my favorite. That's a great, a great movie. It's great a holy one, but uh, yes, it, it was pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, hey, they when when they're good, it doesn't matter how old they are. So that's, yeah, absolutely. I guess I tell I tell my anyone, hey, go watch a Bruce Lee movie. It, it, they hold up. Any of those old ones, if they were done right, they hold up today. So I'm telling you, they're strong. Nice. They're strong. I still every now and then I come across it late at night. I'll watch. I'll watch it the Dragon on TV. There's about probably fifteen to twenty movies that I will watch once a year. And and in a lot a lot of the martial arts ones I'll watch Enter the Dragon once a year, Karate Kid, Best of the Best, Perfect Weapon, a lot of the eighties ones that I grew up on, I'll watch them once a yeah. year just because Blood Sport, you know. Oh yeah. Oh I, I watch them all now. I yeah. you know, I, I picked out the ones that jump out at me, but there's so much martial arts. And there's some soppy stuff that's out there too, yeah. but there are a lot of good guys that are out there that uh that are doing some nice things. I mean, it's 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 entertainment. Yep. But if you got a background, you understand. You're like, okay, that's pretty. Wing Chun. Yep. You know, it's like you. Uh, what's his name? Danny, uh, who's bring. Uh, he does Wing Chun in his movies now, and I can't think of his full name. God, he's a Wing Chun uh, guy. Godly, I'm I'm drawing blank on his name, <laughs> but he does. He he has probably ten movies out. Okay, and he's he's done so well, but he he has introduced reintroduced the Wing Chun, which everybody knows Bruce Lee started out in Wing Chun before he created you know yep. Kung Do. When he did that, he probably did more damage to the martial arts scene than anything because he gave everyone the calling card that they could go out and create their own crisis. Right, which a lot about, of people did. You think about everybody. <laughs> everybody thinks they can go out and create a crisis. And like, no, no, you can't, Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee spent years and years and years and years doing this. And you yep. just can't go out and say, all right, I'm going to create my own crisis. There's a lot that have tried, and there's a handful that have done it very well, So, yeah. <laughs> which is good. Yeah. There. There's definitely, I mean, there's some, some good systems that have been created in the last, you know, 30, 40, 50 years. But like you said, they, they put the time in, they did the research. and Absolutely. And, then they have, when you, and when you see those people and you check their background, they were part of a legitimate system. Yes before yep. they went off to do their thing. So they had a base and a foundation to start from. But uh, like that is true. You know, there's a few that like, I, I can do this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> cool. Well, Andre, I, I want to thank you. This has been so much fun. Like I said, I, I honestly didn't know what to expect because like I said, I wasn't a football fan, so I didn't know much about you other than the little bit I read online. And I've so much enjoyed your, you're such a great storyteller. I've enjoyed hearing your story and I, I, Definitely hope to meet you in person someday, and and who knows, maybe you know, maybe uh, hit the heavy bag with you or something, or work work on some weapons or something if I, if I ever get out to the East Coast. Absolutely, yeah. this has been great, and like I said, this is I think this is my first interview over the over the airwaves, so it uh, it's pretty cool. Um, I you know I I've always pride myself with you know being legitimate in everything that I do you know I I used to see where people were getting honorary ranks and stuff like that mm-hmm. people used to ask me you know are you a black belt I said yes I'm I'm a black belt but I'm not an honorary black belt <laughs> I I pride myself on doing it the right way and and being legitimate in everything that I do having the proper paperwork and credentials and it, that means a lot says yes. a lot and the, the the people who matter are the ones that respect that. Like you said, it's about the art. That's the important part. I mean, yeah, I got, you know, I've had, you know, my instructor tell people, Hey, if you, if you want a belt, I'll give you one. But if yeah, you actually yeah. want to earn one, yeah. you got to earn it. 
You know, absolutely doesn't mean like absolutely. like Mr. Miyagi said. You know, <laughs> karate is not here. That doesn't mean anything. So that's right. <laughs> nice. That's right. Well, just once again, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much. I I can't wait to get this episode out, and and I I hope the listeners will love it. It's if my math is correct, your episode should be out on January nineteenth, I believe. So your episode number ninety eight. Awesome. awesome. I appreciate I appreciate the time and uh, wish you all the best and happy new year to you. Same to you, sir. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artist. We hope you'll join us every week for a brand new episode with a different martial artist telling their story. If you enjoy the show, be sure to leave us a review. Also, be sure to check out our website at everydaymartialartist.com. There you can find all of our episodes and contact us to suggest guests and ask questions. Again, thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artist, and we'll see you next week.